Okay, here we go. Look, there goes that girl. She is strange, no question. Dazed and distracted, can't you tell? Never part of any crowd, because her head's up on some cloud. No denying, she's a funny girl, that bell. Episode 34, Beauty and the Beast is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. Hey, Angela. Hey, Matt. Oh, man. Uh, how you been? I have been great and mostly just looking forward to this episode. This is the reason I am here. I am here for all of this. Yeah, we, we, uh, there, there is, ah, uh, so, uh, today's episode, uh, it, it's been something that I've loved for quite some time. It, uh, probably one of my favorite, uh, Disney animated films, uh, but it turns out that there is a very, very rich history behind all of this. I, where and, you're going to take me? You're going to take me in the wayback machine here. Oh, absolutely! I, just want, I thought we would just talk about dancing in libraries. I'm ready to put on my yellow ball gown. I was hoping you would dress up like a furry. Oh, you're already in costume. That's the thing. That's the thing. Because, because you know, uh, the, this is a story about uh, a hairy fanged isolationist who lives in a house full of magic stuff and then um, meets a woman so, who loves libraries so, so this is pretty much our show yeah that <laughs> it is um, uh, as much on topic as you can get and i i was fa i was fascinated by this all right well take me back where does it all begin well okay so <laughs> as <laughs> as the song says a tale as old as time i wanted to see uh, i i originally planned on introducing this as a tale as old as 1740 because that's when the first book came out but it turns out that uh so uh cade perry a professor of literature and writing at snow college said Quote, many would argue that this tale, or at least some variation of this tale, is several thousand years old. There is no definitive or authentic version. Different countries and cultures in dramatically different time periods would tell similar stories that, were sh that would share some of these traits found in Beauty and the Beast, including like the story of Cupid and Psyche and the story of Persephone and Hades. Because oh, oh my 
Twins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, that's a neat thing that I, uh, while, uh, you know, because I did the research and then went back uh, and rewatched it. And uh, Beauty and the Beast takes place over winter, just like, you know, Persephone being in, when she in, in the underworld. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is the thing. It turns out that uh, the whole thing about uh, monster falls for attractive woman. Attractive woman says, no, you're a monster. And then says, well, maybe you're not that bad after all. This is a thing that is across every culture. It's a very, very big element of humanity. And that is, I find that fascinating. That is fascinating. And uh, that uh, may lead to why uh, this was uh, Disney's first uh, Academy Award. Well, uh, we'll, we'll get into all that in a second. But okay. Okay. yeah, but that's that's the thing about this, because it's it's apparently way, way bigger than uh, just a movie about uh, talking candelabras. Who knew? And cute little cups with a chip in them. Exactly. Uh, no, no, that's uh, that's also a thing that we'll get into because uh, I, I have a... Uh, anyway, well, yeah, because I, I don't want to get much ahead of to that. cover, people. Much, much. to cover. Oh, get it's excited. Gonna a, it's going to be a fun thing. <laughs> so, so when we talk about the publishing history of Beauty and the Beast, the first version uh, was uh, the the French novel uh, La Belle et la Bête uh, in 1740. Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Vellenue, uh was the uh, person who published it. And in this telling, uh, so, so this, this telling is rarely translated into English because it is batshit crazy. Oh. <laughs> so it, it's about a cursed prince uh, who is a beast in both senses of the French word because he's a, uh, uh, an animal who's also pretty dumb. And uh, in this version, the beast is fatherless and his mother left him alone in the care of a witch while she went off to defend the kingdom. But the witch decided to try to seduce the kid uh, once he came of age and it got annoyed when he you know, refused. And then she said, all right, in that case, I'm going to turn you into some sort of beast man. So uh, she never actually describes what the beast looks like. So uh, translations uh, have said that he might be a boar or a toad or, you know, whatever animal comes to mind because they just said, oh, yeah, you're a beast. So mm. uh, but, but not only did the beast transform, but in this version, uh, there are also elaborate descriptions of fairies transforming to serpents to gain power to fight off other fairies in a fairy war. And uh, so anyway, eventually the Beast's mother returns and uh, gets all mad because uh, the Beast has fallen for, and her name is just Beauty, because again, Belle in French is Beauty. Uh, so, uh, But wait, is Belle, is Beauty the mother? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, he no, falls. No, no. Okay. He falls for beauty, who is also not real bright, uh, because uh, she's a merchant's daughter, and uh, he's a prince. And uh, so, but it turns out that in order to solve all this, it turns out that she's not actually her father's daughter. Uh, she is the. Uh, uh, she's the offspring of that witch who tried to have sex with an underage beast. So uh, it it was a really, really weird book. And uh, just 16 years later, that's where we get the one that is popular. Jean-Marie de la Prince de la Beaumont uh, republishes a 
a variation of this story. Uh, getting rid of a whole bunch of the extra stuff, simplifying Now with the plot. less incest and exactly. fewer fairy wars. Exactly. Yeah, no fairy wars in this one. Uh, but uh, this version has a merchant who has three sons and three daughters. Uh, and But when he's at sea, he loses all of his money and then goes on a quest to reclaim his fortune. So uh, Maurice uh, is some sort of... Uh, raider and and goes off and uh, wants to get all of his money back and he says i promise you guys i'll bring you lots of presents when i come back and bell says all i want is a rose because she's she's got a simple life and you know whatever so uh, he goes off and uh, wanders around and uh he he comes across this castle and he seeks shelter at the castle and as he's leaving the next morning he says oh a rose from a rose bush i'll just take this and b shows up and says hey stop stealing my stuff and uh, decides to uh say well i won't murder you if you trade me one of your children so he says all right uh so bell steps up and says oh i love my dad so much i'll go and live at the castle and she lives a life of luxury and says oh hey beast is actually not really bad and beast says hey you want to marry me no hey you want to marry me no hey you want to marry me no and she says no no you're incredibly ugly i don't want to marry you but i will live at your enormous castle eat your enormous food and you know have your enormous rose bushes so uh but she eventually leaves to visit her father and then she realizes she really cares about him but uh, and then she returns to the castle but uh, it finds that the beast is dying of heartbreak and she says oh yes i do love you and uh, the the tears turn him back into a beautiful prince uh, and uh, it turns out that a fairy again with the fairy wars uh, came and turned him into a beast and said that you can only turn back until you find true love. So it it was the prototype of the story that we will be talking about today. Uh, it uh, emphasized Belle as the main character instead of, you know, fairy wars. Uh, so that's that's going to be like a major factor going forward. Uh, and then in 1940... And wait, was that book commercially successful in france did that one yes yes that that is the one that you will find today translated into a number of languages across a number of cultures uh that's the one i actually have on my bookshelf over there oh look at you all right yes because again i I love my books (laughs) i think that we'll follow up on okay (laughs) so fast forward to 1937 And Walt Disney has some great success with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And he says, you know what? I need some other books that we could turn into, uh, you know, movies. How about this Beauty and the Beast? So in 1937, they start to try to develop this, uh, the the Beauty and the Beast. But in 1946, French avant-garde artist, writer, and filmmaker Jean Cocteau releases his very, very legendary La Belle et la Bête starring Josette Day and Jean Marais. And uh, Roger Ebert called it one of the most magical of all films. Yeah, we uh, studied that in film school. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, uh, for the day, especially, it's got some fantastic makeup, some very, very moody, ethereal uh, 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 cinematography. It's it's really, really cool. Uh, uh, it caused uh, horrible, horrible, uh, you know, reactions with the makeup because, again, back in the day, gluing stuff, gluing animal fur to a person's face, you just strip all their skin off because that's yeah, how you do. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, the, the 
Jean Marais uh, played both Avenant, uh, who was Belle's brother and the Gaston precursor, Gaston, and the Beast. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, again, you know, it's one of those things of, hey, hey, you look a lot more like my brother. You want to get together? And yeah, it's, it was kind of weird. But, but it's anyway. It's French. It's French. So yeah. that explains yeah. it. So yeah. wait, did that usurp Disney's plans? It did. Uh, he, uh, uh, Peter M. Nichols stated that Disney may have been discouraged because he he couldn't do better than uh, the the Jean Cousteau version. So he uh, they still had the rights to it, but he didn't want to do anything with it because he was outmatched. Mm. So uh, that was the status of everything for a while. Uh, and then uh, the, the first English live action screen adaptation came from a B-movie director named Edward L. Cohn, uh, was uh, the night uh, who also made 1958's "It" with an exclamation mark? The Terror from Beyond Space, uh, which which was later done into the John Carpenter movie "It." So, oh no 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 uh, no no uh, the thing the thing sorry the thing. yeah okay. yeah yeah it was a it's clown. a Stephen yeah. oh okay isn't that yeah. like a Stephen King thing yeah yeah it it yeah. is Stephen King but yeah yeah so anyway uh, Mark. Mark Damon, uh, which is, you know, who Tommy Wiseau thought that Matt Damon was, stars as a melodramatic prince who transforms like a werewolf after the sun goes down. So so there's there's uh, spotty versions here and there, and every once in a while somebody will take another stab at it. But the first big version was in 1987 when uh, Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton have the modern-day adaptation of Beauty and the Beast where uh, a nobleman named Vincent is a beast who lives in the sewer and Sarah Connor herself falls in love with him and they solve mysteries and they you know go on adventures and they fall in love. And it was written by George R.R. R. Martin. So at the time when we come into this, in 1987, that... That's the version of Beauty and the Beast that gets uh, Michael Eisner saying, hey, we've got Beauty and the Beast, right? We've still got the rights after, you know, 50 years. they already have the rights. Yeah, ah, yeah. So, so we, this seems to be pretty popular. Let's make this happen. So they try and they try and they try. And at this, so this, at this point in Disney history, animated movies didn't really have writers. They did a whole bunch of storyboards because in, with the days of the cartooning, you plan out your storyboards like a comic book, and then you kind of write around it because you think about, well, the, the, the dwarves need to dance. Let's make a dancing sequence. And then you write a story to go around this kind of stuff because apparently this is the way things are done. So, okay. uh, but, but they, they went through so many iterations that just was not working. Michael Eisner decided we need a screenwriter. And this was the first time this was ever going to be done on a Disney animated film. And so they found this woman and uh, regular uh, listeners, I was, I was going to say readers of the show. But regular readers and yeah. listeners and watchers, whatever, yeah, yeah. however you're tuning in to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Yeah, yeah. You, you, rem- you may remember the name Linda Wolverton. Uh, she is a a prolific part of autistic history. Never met her myself. Can't say if she's autistic, but boy, does she understand autistic people. But so, so he found Linda Wolverton 
in a method that we will tell you about now. See, she was born in 1952 in Long Beach, California, and as a child, she began acting in the local children's theater as an escape from what she described as a traumatic childhood. She graduated from high school in 69 with honors uh, in the school's theater program. She attended California State University, uh, graduating with a BFA in theater arts in 73. And after graduation, she attended the California State University Fulgren to receive a master's in theater for children. Uh, upon completion of her master's, she formed her own children's theater company. She wrote, directed, performed all over California in churches, malls, schools, and local theaters. She was a creative drama instructor. And in 1980, she began working as a secretary for CBS. And she eventually became a programming executive concentrating on children's and late night programming. But during her lunch breaks, she wrote her first novel, uh, Starwind. So she quit her job in 84 and started working as a substitute teacher, wrote her second novel, Running Before the Wind, uh, released in 1986 and 87. And but during this time, she started writing scripts for children's television shows. From, 88, from 86 to 89, she wrote uh, for Ewoks, Dennis the Menace, The Real Ghostbusters, Bears and Bears. Chip Wait, did we know Rangers. there was an Ewoks show? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ewoks and droids during a dark period of the 1980s. And, uh, listen, uh, I am a child of the 80s. How did I miss the Ewok show? It was very forgettable. It had some okay. really great uh, writers, but but again, really? it was it was and uh, Ewoks, presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was uh, it was animated by Nelvana, which has a whole other history itself because uh, that that might be a, a whole separate episode. But uh, but yeah, but yeah, it was Nelvana actually does Thomas the Train now, but that's a whole other thing. Oh. But, but yeah, uh, that she wrote for that show. But the thing that uh, put her on my radar, the, the, the thing that I first learned about Linda Wolverton about was that uh, she created Wind Whistler, the autistic My Little Pony. Pony. Yes, exactly. So uh, avid uh, listeners and of the by, show. And by the way, that's episode 18. I will put a link to episode 18 in the show notes if you want to know more about Linda Wolverton, because we go into how she became the, the My Little Pony uh, revolutionary. Really, yeah. Big, yeah. big part of My Little Pony history, and and plus, there's some great stuff on bronies in that episode. So check out episode 18 if you haven't heard it already. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. She she wrote the episode Crunch the Rock Dog, and it is available on YouTube at this very moment. So if you want to pause and come watch it, you know, then you come back. <laughs> Yes. Are Pause, you back with enjoy. us? But, okay, but, back. <laughs> but, but in the in the event that you can't take a break to watch YouTube, like if you're driving or, you know, I don't know, rock climbing or sword fighting with a six fingered man, you know, uh, but listening to our podcast, uh, Wind Whistler is an autistic po coded pony. Uh, remember, this is in 1983. Uh, I believe 83, uh, 86 uh, was when the episode aired far, far before anyone used the term autism or was talking about uh, autism like open. I mean, again, it was a diagnosis medically, but not really in the public eye back then. And this is a pony who had uh, a lot of uh, problems with uh, 
this pony did not understand context for a story that they were telling, didn't understand why everyone was crying at the sad story, didn't uh, completely misinterpreted the motivations of characters. The other ponies accuse her of not having feelings. And uh, by the end of the episode, everyone realizes that Wind Whistler does have feelings. And the entire episode is about understanding emotions and having emotions, even though you don't necessarily express them. And that's that's a big thing. And this is apparently a theme for Linda Wolverton, which mm. we will get into. So uh, while she was uh, she she did her, you know, animated shows, but she really, really wanted to work for Disney's theatrical animation studio, which, as you know, uh, with our Walt Disney episode, uh, Walt Disney was not fond of female animators. Oh, that's right. Yes. So, so this was uh, apparently a thing, and uh, she was discouraged by her agent who said that she, quote, wasn't ready. But she said, bite me, agent. So she just personally went over to Disney's offices in Burbank and dropped off a script, uh, a copy of Running to, Before the Wind, to a secretary asking her to give it to somebody to read. So she just showed up, said, hey, I wrote a book. Can you give it to somebody? And then two days later, she gets a call from Jeffrey Katzenberg, the then Disney studio chairman, scheduling her for an interview. So uh, they said, hey, I think that you might be the right person for Beauty and the Beast. And she was the first woman to write an animated feature for the studio. She 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 saw that glass ceiling. She hurled a rocket right through it and uh, just just went on up there. Yeah, so, and this had to be, what, 88, 89, 90, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so from 85 to 88, uh, two different teams of writers had taken a turn in trying to adapt the book, uh, the, the second book, into a workable movie. And it was just not happening. So no, Linda Wolverton transformed Belle into a the main protagonist instead of the Beast, and she made Belle... A bibliophile. Yes, yeah, she did. And that's where the magic happened. Exactly. She worked closely with Howard Ashman. Uh, will uh, uh, Ashman and oh, his partner, uh, it will come to me in a minute, uh, the movie's lyricist, to create a female character that, quote, one that isn't based on being kind and taking the hits and smiling all the way through it. I just that's what I'm feel, talking about. I just didn't feel like that's the message that we wanted to move into the next century with. And mm -hmm. that's the Disney heroines that I grew up with. They didn't mm -hmm. know what they were dealing with when they brought me on, she recalled. Seriously, they had no idea. So, they had uh, not watched enough My Little Pony. Exactly. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. She said this, and this is why we are talking about her today, because Belle is a coded Disney princess and maybe uh, Linda is as well. Uh, and did Linda say this quote? I'm yes. About to share? yes. Linda said, Belle is so close to my soul and my heart. So yeah, I'm honestly very protective. Me too, Linda. So Belle's the best princess. One of uh, Linda's role models is uh, Louisa, Louisa May Alcott. And she loved little women, specifically Joe Marsh. Specifically, Catherine Hepburn's uh, interpretation of Joe Marsh from 1933. So, uh, again, very independent woman. Uh, Joe was aromantic. Uh, Joe loved books. 
Joe was very, very independent. Uh, and Louisa May Alcott herself had all of these characteristics, potentially an autistic writer herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I gave you my little Joe March info dump because she was one of my first heroes. And Lay obviously she was a writer. Um, so I love that. She also, in the book, it doesn't come up in a lot of the films, although some things do. So she like wore pants, which was crazy town. But in the book, she has all these sensory sensitivities about clothes and corsets. And she's like super picky about her clothes, which I was having fights about clothes and super picky about her hair. She wanted short hair. She didn't want like to deal with that, which was like also my thing. And um, the other thing that I think does come across with Joe, but usually it's just played as if like she's quiet, but she really loved alone time. She was very opinionated. So, but it gets played as like introverted in this like nice girl way a lot of times. So I don't always think, but like Catherine Hepburn's amazing. I don't always think the character is played as autistic as if you actually read the book. Um, And she's an incredible sense of social justice and talk about shattering the glass ceiling, finds her way, self way to get published and how to avoid getting married and all the good things. So yes, she is definitely an icon. Yeah. And that's the thing, because when you read the book, that's the author's truest unfiltered voice, as opposed to having a neurotypical director and neurotypical actors and neurotypical design and all this other kind of stuff uh, influencing it. So that, that right there is the, the, the role model that Linda Wolverton has chosen, the one that represents her truest self and the one that influenced her creation of Belle. And uh, like, so one scene that she wrote was Belle sticking pins into a map of all the places she wanted to travel. But when it got time to storyboarding, uh, it had been rewritten into a kitchen because somebody wanted uh, her to, you know, be a traditional Disney princess and wanted to make her decorating a cake. Uh, Wolverton said, no, that's not going to happen. So the compromise that was reached uh, was the opening scene with uh, Belle with her nose in a book. And they said, well, it has to be dynamic. So she's walking around the village with all the villagers talking about how weird she is. And uh, I, autistic, I want, not weird. Hashtag. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Uh, let's see here. So the the lyrics are here. I, I want you to read these lyrics okay. from the song that where everyone watches Bell reading books because these villagers, these villagers are something else, man. I mean, oh my god. Yeah, the villagers are not super nice. And she is like bumping into shit all over the place. But yeah, okay, here we go. Look, there goes that girl. She is strange, no question. Dazed and distracted, can't you tell? Never part of any crowd because her head's up on some cloud. No denying she's a funny girl, that bell. Look, there goes that girl. She is so peculiar. I wonder if she's feeling well with a dreamy far off look and her nose stuck in a book. What a puzzle for the rest of us is Belle. 
It's my favorite part because you'll see, here's where she meets Prince Charming, but she won't discover that's him until chapter three. That's, uh, now, that's Abed Nadir and, level uh, meta uh, cognition and wall breaking, fourth wall breaking there. But but anyway, yeah, go oh, on. Oh, talking to the camera saying, look, it's my favorite part. Yeah. Now, it's no wonder her name is Beauty. Her looks have got no parallel, but behind that fair facade, I'm afraid she's rather odd. Very different from the rest of us. She's nothing like the rest of us. Yes, different from the rest of us is Belle. Look, there goes that girl. The girl is strange but special. A most peculiar mademoiselle. It's a pity and a sin she doesn't quite fit in because she's really a funny girl. A beauty, but a funny girl. She's really a funny girl, that Belle. Yeah. I like her. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, so this this is the thing that uh, she and uh, uh, Howard uh, Ashman and Alan Minkin came up with because they got together and apparently, again, without using the a word, without this. Again, all of these villagers apparently sit around and talk about how weird Bell is. I believe this is the Neurotypicales village here. Uh, apparently so. <laughs> and, and of course, this this goes into further on because, you know, they're all willing to throw Maurice into the insane asylum because he's an inventor, another autistic coded character. He is character. definitely autistic. But, and yeah. then they actually like Gaston. They're like, fine yeah. with that. Oh, yeah, they yeah. like, beat people up. We're good as long as you are... Yeah. Exactly, Whatever. exactly. Uh, and, but the, but that's that's the thing about this. Uh, and we'll get into the whole Gaston thing and the neurotypical and the... Uh, but, but, but yeah. So anyway, these are the songs that she wrote uh, as uh, Ashman was uh, dying of uh, AIDS. So uh, this, this, oh. was, this was the last thing that he ever wrote. So wait, Ashman wrote the lyrics, Mencken writes the music. Yep. And, and then uh, she, Linda Wolverton's writing the book, uh, like well, the story uh, around it. Writing the story, but she also wrote the lyrics with Howard Ashman. I wondered. Okay, makes sense. So, makes yeah, sense. so she she was the one that, uh, you know, had a big hand in all this. And I'm guessing that uh, this kind of stuff may have come up. That's pure conjecture on my part. But again, if she's a big Louisa May Alcott fan and as she shows, because again, part of our autistic ways is that we don't follow the the hierarchy we don't say ah oh, yes i must work my way up the ladder in order to attain success we march right into disney say here's my book hire me and they say oh i guess we'll hire you then and you can so, make us a lot of money and we could exploit your talents autistic person oh very much so and oh. there's a whole thing with the live action <laughs> remake that she's mortified by but but that's a whole thing here uh because she this this is very much Linda Wolverton's uh, authorial DNA uh, all over this. Mm. So again, rewrites and uh, all, all sorts of Disney pushing to make it more princessy. Linda Wolverton pushing back. It says over my dead body. They said, well, what about over your lukewarm body? And she said, no, dead body. So they, they eventually 
work out the script that we currently have. Uh, Lawrence Fisher and Val Kilmer and Mandy Patinkin were all originally considered to be the Beast, but Robbie Benson won it. John Cleese was going to be Cogsworth, but he ended up uh, being busy with an American tale, Fievel Goes West. And they ran out of time while animating. So the, uh, the, the dance sequence was reused from uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty with Princess Aurora and Prince Philip. <laughs> In that famous iconic yeah. beauty, it's the same dance. It's the same dance. Yeah, they, they just sort of uh, rotoscoped over okay. the old I'm animation. Fine with that. So, so uh, Howard Ashman died of AIDS uh, eight months before the film's release. He never mm. got to see it. Aww. He saw a working prince, but he never got to see it. Mm. So, so here's the story of Linda Wolverton's Beauty and the Beast. Uh, we start off, uh, and it says, as the years passed, and Lumiere says they've been rusting for 10 years. But also, the whole thing about uh, the flower is that it's going to wilt on Beast's 21st birthday. So that means that this witch who came to the castle, he was 10. So a 10-year-old, this creepy witch shows up and said, hey, let me stay in your house. He says, no. And she said, let me stay in your house and I'll give you a flower. He says, I'm a 10-year-old boy. I'm at home alone, apparently. No, I do not want your flower. Go away. And she says, well, I'm actually a beautiful princess. And he's like, oh, sorry about that. Well, now you will be a beast because you don't care about other people. So... A 10-year-old boy. He was slightly older than Chip. But, of course, Chip doesn't age because he's been turned into a teacup and teacups aren't yeah. biological and all that kind of stuff. But but <laughs> she wrote this story about a 10-year-old, who, a 10-year-old boy who may not have the greatest social skills. Yeah. She, she wrote about an inventor father and a bookworm daughter. And, again, the townspeople sing about how weird Belle is. She talks about how boring the town is because she doesn't want to end up like them. She doesn't want to end up a housewife. She doesn't want to end up a farmer. She wants to have adventures. She wants to... She talks about, again, the the Abed-esque meta-awareness about, ah, she won't uh, understand that that's the prince until chapter three. That's... She 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 is big into stories. She's big into meta awareness of sport stories. At the same time, Gaston is superficial. Uh, but but again, this is apparently the same crime that Beast made when he was ten. Gaston is a grown man lusting after a teenager who's incredibly superficial. And uh, the 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 female uh, singers that he has are referred to in the script as the bimbets. So uh, they they all say, oh, yes, look, he's objectively very pretty. Look at how strong he is. He murders a lot of animals. Look at how that is. LeFoe is this greedy little toady who, in the remake, turns out he's gay and lusting after Gaston, but apparently that was Linda Wolverton's not. Uh, Linda Wolverton intended for him to say, uh, oh, wow, you're very pretty and therefore ideal. I want to be you. But LeFoe is apparently the, the, the way that Gaston looks on the inside because Gaston right. is a very, very bad person. He's a very 
ignorant person, a willfully ignorant person. Throughout the movie, he continually puts his muddy boots all over the books, poo-poos Belle's interests, doesn't care about what she wants. He is very much a, a, a sexual harasser. And this is a big thing that she brought to this because, again, usually you see princes kissing unconscious women and going out of their way to chase them down with their glass shoes and all this kind of stuff. But again, Belle has agency, which is new. So mm. uh, he sees that Belle is super hot, doesn't care about her thoughts, doesn't care about her plans, doesn't care about anything. But she says, hey, you're super hot, I'm super hot, let's get together and make some super hot kids. I'll, uh, you can pump out four boys, they'll all be like me, we'll go out hunting and killing stuff. It will be great. And Gaston might be illiterate. Uh, he's very concerned about the he's opinions of the He's definitely not a book dude, I can tell you no, that. No, does not care about the books in the least. And this is the big thing, because Belle's like, yeah, You're not going to get an autistic girlfriend if you don't show some interest in our spins. Just... For those of you out there who would like to find a partner who is autistic, you're going to have to show some interest in their special interests. Yes, on tales. And I think that this really speaks to neurotypical hookup culture because oh. I, I personally don't get hookup culture. I don't get tender because, again, neurotypicals apparently meet on Tinder and say, yes, you are very sexually attractive. Would you like to intercourse? And they say, well, yes, I would. And then intercourse ensues. And, they may and never then no talking again. after. Yeah. yeah. I see hookup culture for me was always about pe meeting people in my special interests. And then when you hook up and you like go back to their apartment or whatever, you could talk about your special interests and see their collection. Yeah, yeah, and then exactly. also the sexing. But I like, yeah. so you just need to like get get right in there with the special interests and then you're hooking up and it's making sense. Even if you never see them again, you got to see their like rare collection and their rarities. So yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, that goes back to that famous John Waters quote, and I may paraphrase here, don't hook up with someone if they don't have books. Right, agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and that's the thing about this because like Joe Marsh, uh, Belle is fairly aromantic. She has absolutely zero interest in fighting a suitor. She has absolutely zero interest in becoming a housewife. She wants to read. She wants to be an inventor like her father. She wants to travel. She's she's very, very much uh, the prototypical independent woman in 17th century France. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that L-P-P, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. This line, uh, that, that call out breaking the fourth wall line where um, he says, uh, it's my favorite part because here's where she meets Prince Charming. Yeah, which yeah. I know somebody was like, we need her to want to meet Prince Charming. By the way, she doesn't. She won't discover him till chapter three. 
Like, here's the thing is what she probably liked about that was how it's written. Yeah, or, yeah, like, yeah. She so the way the view when you're not looking at autistic people through an autistic culture lens and you're like oh she's strange or oh yeah. she maybe when she meets the right guy she'll act normal or that, that whole Wednesday thing yeah yeah you're looking at this from such a different lens like I want to challenge our listeners get the lyrics to this song and rewrite them through an autistic culture lens, you will see Belle was not that peculiar. It's all very logical. Like she is logically walking through town. She is logically bumping into things because she's reading something interesting. There's this line like, what a puzzle to unlock. Actually, probably no puzzle. Making that shit up, people. Like it's pretty obvious. Girl likes books. Girl wants to travel. Girl reads books about traveling. Yeah, and uh, there, there's one line where, you know, she's like, but I am kind of lonely, but this is the thing. Uh, she says, for once it might be grand to have someone to understand. I want so much more than they've got planned. She, she, like, baby Jesus. this is the way of our people, because with our hyper-connected brains, we have the data hunger. We need experiences. We need reading. We need research. We need to go see places and do things. We need more than these dead-eyed villagers. There must be more than this provincial life. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's that's the big thing about this. And, and again, so, so the story progresses. Uh, Maurice, her father, is not a merchant. He's an inventor. And he, he's an inventive machine that chops wood that works perfectly. And he's off to show off his invention at a fair because he's very proud to show off his invention. And he says, all right, I'm off. Uh, and just like zero warning. Of course, she's used to this because that's how he rolls. Uh, very monotropically focused. And she understands it because she's walking around reading a book while everyone's talking about how weird she is and doesn't phase her. Maurice is very singularly focused, says, I've got this invention. I'm off. I'll be back. And she's like, all right, I'm just going to sit here and read my book. And uh, that's when he gets lost in the woods because he takes the creepy way against his horse's better advice. And uh, when he shows up at the castle, it's like, Oh, cool. All your stuff talks. This is great. I love this. Instead of saying, you know, this is a little creepy, uh, as the villagers will later on. But again, the villagers are largely murdered by the cool stuff. But anyway, uh, Maurice says, oh, well, this is really cool. And they say, hey, would you like some food? Uh, Even though Beast won't like it, we should give you some food because we remember what it's like to be human and we miss being human. Would you? And he says, oh, yes, this is great. Oh, and originally, that's where Be Our Guest was going to be in because oh. they were going to make Maurice the guest. But but mm. again, when uh, Linda Wolverton was very, very adamant that Belle is the star of this show, they changed it to Belle being the guest. So, mm. so they do invite him to dinner, but uh, Beast comes in and says, nobody could be in here. Look at me. I'm a beast. I don't want anyone to see me being a beast. I'm incredibly self-conscious. I've got a ton of internalized ableism. I don't Aww. want anyone to deal with this. So, but at the same time, I don't want to let you go. You're going to be here, my guest forever. I be my guest in the dungeon. So he, he wants to hang out with Maurice more or less. So, uh, so anyway, 
Philippe the horse uh, comes back. Belle can communicate well with animals. Uh, granted, it's a Disney princess trait, but it's also a tendency for autistic people. Again, see the My Little Pony episode because she uh, she says, Philippe, where's Maurice? Take me to Maurice. And uh, they pull a lassie and Philippe you know, takes her to the castle. And uh, she says, hey, let my dad go. Can't you see that he's sad and sick and uh, things aren't going well for him? I will stay here instead. And again, that is part of the classic tale from 2,000 years ago where uh, the, the, char- the female character volunteers tribute to to the monster because she sees him as a monster she sees him as a terrible person and she does what she does to help her father uh and this is a moment where b says you want to be here and that was when things started to crack because again keep in mind that uh ever since he hit beast puberty at the age of 10 uh, no one's wanted to be around him. Who knows where the parents are? They're not mentioned in this. We don't know if they were transformed into, I don't know, a ripped up painting. Oh, we don't know if uh, they they were killed at sea. We, we don't know if, wh- whatever. But he's been alone since 10, except for his magic stuff. And then all of a sudden, a very attractive human woman wants to be there with him. So this is where... Things take a turn, you know, in a lesser writer, uh, you start steering into Stockholm Syndrome. But with Linda Wolverton, they, they, they start looking at this whole... So one of the big things about uh, autistic relationships is that we, we tend to understand what it's like to be, you know, the villagers not liking you. Uh, we tend to understand that there is more depth to somebody than superficial stuff, which is why Belle does not go for Gaston. We tend to uh, like the characters that are misunderstood because we understand what it's like to be misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about Maleficent mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. But, but this is a thing. Uh, Linda Wolverton shows you that Beast is not really a bad guy. He's just... He's got emotional regulation difficulties. He's got great big feelings. Uh, He's got great big feelings that he can't always control. And he tore up the West Wing because he didn't destroy the flower, but he tore up all the pictures of himself as apparently a super handsome 10 year old. 10 year old. Yeah. (laughs) So, so anyway, uh, they, they, uh, his stuff is like Lumiere is like you know hey this girl could break our curse we could be human again wouldn't that be great uh, which brings in a song later on but but anyway Beast says I hope you like it here the castle is your home now except for the Forbidden West Wing don't ever 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 go into the Forbidden Wing of Forbiddenness and she's like well now I want to go into the Forbidden Wing of Forbiddenness and because again we have curiosity. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't tell us what to do. And Beast is also stubborn. Uh, right. Beast is stubborn. She is stubborn. This is a thing that they bond over. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. And this is their Sam and Diane, for those who remember Cheers. This is why they had such chemistry together, because they're both dead set on what they're doing, but yet they care for each other. And But... Uh, Anyway, uh, so back to Gaston. Gaston is a neurotypical, arrogant, misogynistic, and 
pretty dumb. So he decides, hey, you know what will get her to marry me? If I blackmail her and send her father to an insane asylum and then uh, say, uh, I, I'll, I won't send him to an insane asylum if you marry me. And everyone agrees, yeah, that's a great plan. That'll work. Yeah, it's a great plan. Yep, that's what yeah. we go for. Torture so, our loved ones. So meanwhile, <laughs> Beast has this whole internalized ableism thing. He's got big emotions. He really He has rejection sensitivity. He's very, very afraid that she hates him because he looks like a beast, even though he knows he's just a 10-year-old boy and uh, he wants someone to like him. But uh, that's where Be Our Guest now comes in. So she says, you know, this place actually isn't too bad. I really like all your dancing and singing cutlery. This is pretty cool. I want to go see that West Wing. And they're like, no, don't go see the West Wing. And uh, they, they say, would you like to see the tapestries? Nah. How about the gardens? Nah. Well, we've got a library. She says, you have a library? And that, so anyway, she's like, but uh, no, I got to stay on track. I've got to see the West Wing. So Beast finds her in the West Wing and discovers that she sees the person he used to be. He freaks out, smashes up the West Wing. So she says, all right, I don't care what I said. I'm out. Because again, she's not, she's willingly staying there. She's not a prisoner. She's, she gave her word to stay there. So she says, peace out, beast. So she leaves in the middle of a snowstorm. And for some reason, there's a lot of really angry wolves outside. And she's like, you know what? I can take this. So she starts beating up on the angry wolves. Because again, she's not a Disney princess. Traditionally, she doesn't need anyone to save her. She starts beating up on wolves left and right. Wolves are getting cracked over the head. And but there's there's only so many wolves that a human can take on, ask Liam Neeson. So so anyway, the beast shows up and starts fighting off all these wolves. The wolves beat the crap out of him, and he passes out. And Belle looks at him and says, you know, I I could leave. I'm totally free. But he's actually not a bad guy. I'm going to take him back and nurse him back to health. So she's a badass who can beat up wolves, but she is also sensitive enough to take care of Beast's wounds. Again, a very, very well-rounded character. She's strong enough to be soft. She's strong enough to beat up wolves. So she's strong-willed. Uh, they start arguing about how to take care of Beast's wounds. He just wants to sit there and literally lick them like an animal. She screams at him, no, don't do that. Let me do this. And he says, but, I, but it hurts. I don't like it. So she, she's very strong-willed again. So he says, you know what? I like you. You want to see something cool? And she's like, all right. So he takes her to the library. An enormous, multi-level haven of Take books. Take me to my special interest. Oh. And again, again, the beast largely lives in darkness. The beast largely lives in squalor. Uh, he, he lives like an animal. But the one place in this palace that is pristine is the library. So uh, up until they re-added the song Human Again... Uh, which is a special edition ad that Linda Wolverton and Howard Ashman cut out the song. Uh, uh. But uh, so this 10 year old has a collection of books. Uh, 
Apparently, he's also an avid reader. At this point, Human again says that he might be uh, uh, illiterate himself uh, or that he just hasn't read in a very long time. And again, he might not have read because he's a beast and he's depressed. But And those could be his parents' books, too. We don't know anything about could. his parents. But, yeah. but again, this is a cherished place. He didn't use the books as toilet paper like Gaston would. He right. values the books. She values the books. All of a sudden, we have a demisexual thing going on where Belle says, Oh, oh, I get it. Oh, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah, food and uh, you're, you love books, too. All right. I can stay here forever. And that's that's where we come into this. So so anyway, she she starts living there. He's still eating uh, out. Uh, he's not using silverware, possibly because all the silverware is alive. I don't know. But uh, or because he, it's like awkward in his mouth. Maybe they only have big spoons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Autistic but, culture. We don't do big spoons. Exactly. Plus, we also <laughs> tend to eat sandwiches over the sink as someone who like me might do. Which so, is efficient. Yeah. And you don't exactly. have to clean things. Yeah. Process complexity. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, uh, she sees him trying to feed birds and he's very, very gentle with the birds. Mm-hmm. She realizes and, hey, he has that in common with Bert. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Autistic beauty, uh, and uh, yeah. So, so they're they're both trying to figure each other out because neither of them is good at reading signals. If a neurotypical was watching this, they'd say, "Oh, they're clearly into me. Look at the body language." But two autistic people trying to read body language from each other, yeah, might as well just have cryptographs. We we don't get that. We we don't get it unless someone says, "I like you and I want to spend time here." I, I I like you and I also want you to spend time here. That's that's the way of our people. So there's a whole song about them saying, "They're looking at me. Does that mean they like me? I think they might. Do they like? They might not like me. Do they like me?" And that the whole song about this. I literally had this conversation last night. Yeah. So this is a, well, it's just a daily conversation. Does it, I I was like, literally, I'm like, let me give you the evidence. Of course, I'm asking my autistic husband, which is not great. I'm like, I will now list off all the evidence. And then the conclusion I have drawn is this means they don't like me. Am I missing something? Is there another conclusion? Can you help me take this evidence and reach a conclusion? They like me from this evidence base the the, the so. bottom up data processing yes mm-hmm. you get your data you form a hypothesis you examine the hypothesis it's the scientific method and that's that's how we approach the relationships and this is yeah, how they are doing this doesn't always go great though no but. no no it, yeah yeah it uh, again <laughs> lifelong autistic history here mm. and uh, yeah it rarely works but it seems like it should though it, it should. What are they doing over there? Humans I are don't weird. Understand. Humans are weird. It's just that that whole again, the holistic mating dance is very different from the autistic mating dance because we say, "Hey, you want to share my library? You want to double up on a library? All of a sudden, you have a bigger library. Holy shit. It works yeah, exactly. out for everybody. If you can get yeah. into a library merger with an autistic person." You've made a life mate. Listen, and my husband has different. So he has uh, historical fiction. He has science <laughs> fiction. So and uh, and he has humor. I have lots and lots of plays. So like my theater collection, I have a cookbook collection, and then I have nonfiction and business books. We had very little overlap 
but lots of Venn diagramming and there was room on the shelf. But the big problem, and this was almost the end of it all, he double stacks books. He will put them too deep. You can only see what. Can you please agree with me? You cannot double. It doesn't matter how deep the shelf is. You cannot double stack no, your no, books. No, no, I, I understand. So part of part of having a library is that the library will never be big enough. That is the way of the library. But you need to see your books because that's you part of the joy of having them. That because, is the purpose. How yeah. do they talk to you? If they're behind another book, you can't even have a conversation with them. You don't even know they're there. Nobody exactly. keeps baby in a corner. Exactly. He has the, our, our library is all the rooms of the house. But the double stacked books are relegated to the man cave. Oh, there's a sports collection in there too. Oh, I, yeah. Because I cannot be in a room with books that are hidden behind other books. It yeah. seems like some torture and I find it physically painful to my that, person. That's why you need books literally stacked to a four, five story ceiling with the rolling ladder around so that, you know, you can reach all of your books. Rolling ladder stacked to the ceiling. Yeah, that's it has the way. been accomplished. Uh, my ceiling isn't quite as high as the beast though. His library tops mine. Yeah, yeah, uh, but but that's that's the ultimate goal. And this is when I'm dating. This is the how I introduce myself to people. That's my goal. I want a house with that. And if people are up for it, this is where we start. But that's mm-hmm. that's where their love begins. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book. Check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. So anyway, uh, she says, you know, I really love being here, but I, I miss my father. I wish I could check in on him. He says, oh, I got a magic mirror that can happen. And she sees, <laughs> oh my God, her father is, you know, having a rough time with the terrible villagers. And uh, he says, oh, Okay. Yeah, he says, well, I'm going to go. And he's like, all right. And of course, you know, he doesn't try to stop her because he cares about her. He just falls into a deep, deep depression because he's been rejected again, because he's got rejection sensitivity. Uh, and he just kind of gives up on life at that point. So she goes back and, you know, Gaston goes into this whole thing. Hey, villagers, you remember how weird she is? You remember how weird he is? We should definitely lock him up and make her, you know, uh, have sex with me. And she says, no, no, uh, Maurice is not uh, saying stupid things about the beast. He's real. See, here's the mirror. Check it out. And they're like, oh, oh, in that case, well, we need to kill him. And because, again, villagers are not very accepting of those who are different see the current stuff that's going on with, uh, you know, allistics and autistic people, allistics and trans people, allistics and gay people, allistics and, you know, white supremacy, colonialism. Neurotypicals do not have a good track record for acknowledging differences and accepting them. And these villagers are par for the course on that. They say, oh, different. Let's kill it. Right. So that brings up the mob song, and they all invade the castle, and uh, the the uh, the magic stuff is like, hey, Beast, you know, we got an angry mob out here. They're going to kill all of us. And he says, let him. Uh, I'm giving up. So he is, he is so down. He's just giving up on life. He's just sitting there. So the magic stuff says, all right, it's up to us. And I'm pretty sure they kill several villagers because you can't drop uh, heavy, heavy stuff. At one point, a, uh, a trunk 
eats someone, licks his lips, and we never see that person again. You never see him spit out. So, uh, but but Gaston makes his all way all the way in. He says, "All right, Beast, I'm going to kill you." And he says, "All right, do it." And uh, Gaston says, "All right, I'm going to kill you." Shoots him with an arrow, and he's like, "Yeah, fine, whatever." And uh, that's that's where they get knocked out the window and go on the roof. And Beast sees the bells there, and he's like. Oh, wait, you came back. Maybe I don't want to die after all. Hey, stop hurting me. And Gaston says, no, I will not stop hurting you. No, seriously, stop hurting you or I will drop you off a roof. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please don't. Because again, Gaston is the image of masculinity. He is the toxic masculinity at its finest, where he puts on this big bravado. He's willing to go out and kill things that are weaker than him, take advantage of people who are smaller than him, do any means necessary to get his place in the world except for fight a worthy adversary. So he, he basically pees himself and asks for mercy and B says, all right, fine, I wasn't really going to hurt you anyway. So uh, he goes to Bell and said, hey, I didn't know you were here. You're back. It's great to see you. Oh, my God, I was stabbed. Who saw that coming? So Gaston says, ha-ha, I'm just kidding. I know I'm very cowardly, but I stabbed you. And B says, stop stabbing me. And that's when Gaston falls to his death. And this is the first time in Disney animation that uh, you really, really see death. Well, I mean, there's there's other sort of hmm. like Maleficent and stuff. But anyway, you Bambi, see skulls yeah. in his eyes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. sc- the skulls say, oh, no, I am definitely really screwed. So Beast is laying there dying and said, hey, I'm glad you came back. And she says, oh. By the way, I love you. And then that's what transforms him into this physically perfect demigod. And they say, oh, by the way, I'm alive. And that is the happy Disney ending. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, oh, I forgot the line. What's the matter, Beast? Too kind and gentle to fight back? Because he is kind. He is gentle. He just looks like a beast. And... This, this is a reason why I relate to him because, you know, I, I am a, I'm a very loud guy. I'm a very large guy. I'm a very hairy guy with big teeth. I take up a lot of physical space, but yet uh, I, I consider myself gentle. Uh, but we, we, and this is another big thing about autistic dangers in the world. We mm. are more likely to be murdered by police because police don't understand meltdowns. They don't understand our reactions to them. Mm. They, they consider us threats because we are unexpected. And mm-hmm. this is a thing about like Cassandra's syndrome where neurotypical partners don't understand the autistic partners and place all these sort of weird projections upon them and say, oh, yeah, clearly you're not human. You're not this. You're not that. There's something wrong about you instead of just accepting that someone gentle can look different. Mm. So so anyway, uh, Bell uh, loves him and uh, does a reverse Shrek. Uh, again, I think that Shrek is fairly autistic, a direct response to Katzenberg. But, but that's a whole other thing we might cover in a future episode. Uh, he turns into the ideal Disney prince, thus giving the Disney ending. I don't know how Linda Wolverton felt about that. Uh, in in the Custo uh, 1942 version, uh, the, one of the uh, reactions was, oh my God, where did my beautiful beast go? Because everyone likes beast better. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he's just human now. He's not beast. Beast is much cooler. Uh, 
So uh, when it was released in 91, it became the first animated film ever to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture and winning the Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Uh, so this led to them to say, hey, this is very profitable. We like you, Lena Wolverton. So she ended up doing the screenplay for Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Uh, she worked with Disney Animation, developed Aladdin and The Lion King. She uh, turned Beauty and the Beast into a Broadway musical, which opened in 94. Uh, it won a Tony Award for Best Book and Musical and won an uh, Olivier Award for Best New Musical. She provided additional story material for Mulan, again, a, a strong protagonist where, you know, she 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 takes on this role that uh, of the dude. Uh, she has to dress up as a dude in order to defend and not be in the, the original story. She just, when she got home from war, she was married off and she killed herself. Again, giving agency to the female character. Mm-hmm. Uh in 2007, uh, she did Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland with mm. Tim Burton and Johnny Depp, both autistic. Uh, again, she she puts it in where Alice is an adventurer. She wants more than this provincial life. So it was it it was the uh, making Wolverton the first female screenwriter with a sole writing credit on a film that grossed one billion dollars. Damn, girl. In 2010, nice. uh, she wrote Maleficent, uh, again, taking the point of view of the villain and explaining all this stuff of, you know, she looks bad, but it, it's not really that way. Again, another autistic thing. Uh, mm-hmm. The Maleficent was around for several years, like Beauty and the Beast had been, until she took a crack at it, and then all of a sudden it was... Uh, a thing, and it was released in 2014, uh, made a bunch of money. She did the sequels for Alice and Maleficent. She wrote uh, the Broadway musical Lestat about the Vampire Chronicles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's uh, well, 2005. And yeah, it was the highest earning pre-Broadway play in the city's history. Mm. Uh, she wrote uh, the narration of the documentary film Arctic Tale in 2014 she was pitching a pilot for a TV series Clan of the Cave Bear and again uh, Clan of the Cave Bear is about a woman who is different from all the cavemen around her slightly more evolved uh, the first homo sapien among uh, the Neanderthals and again that's a very autistic place to be because you you see the world differently and other people don't understand it, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. So uh, she is she she's very much a prolific person in uh, media that is appreciated by autistic people. She's very much uh, uh, a person of interest for autistic people, and I encourage you to further check out her works. Again, I can't say that she's autistic. But boy, she really she understands autistic, autistic culture. She does. She does. So good. But but that's not the end of it. Because uh, in 19, two years later, uh, Michael Bay came in with Meatloaf to adapt Beauty and the Beast for I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. So, I would do anything for love. Okay, I won't give you the whole song. But yeah. I would like... 
And, and there have been several other adaptations over the years, uh, including a live action with uh, 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 oh, Hermione. Emma Watson, but but again, Linda Wolverton was not paid for that. She she had no input on that other than them using her screenplay. Um, but I, to this day, out of the thousands of years of Beauty and the Beast storytelling, I really think that this is the pinnacle, but again, I'm biased because I think that this is a very big representation of autistic culture. Yes, it could not, yeah, it could not be a more perfect autistic story. Uh, we've got some great references that I will drop into the show notes and then do check out the Ponies Are Autistic and the Disney Is Autistic episodes. So I'll put those in the show notes too. And I actually learned some stuff here. So I appreciate that. Learning is yeah. fun. Learning is fun. And also, I think just looking at, hey, we can celebrate autistic culture, even when, you know, Belle wasn't always treated nicely. But when you look at it from an autistic lens, it sort of changes the way you view it, which, of course, is exactly what Linda's doing, like with Maleficent and Lestat and a lot of her characters is let's look at this differently. And that's kind of what we're asking you guys to do. Go back and watch Beauty and the Beast again and see if you can see it through an autistic culture lens and then rewrite the lyrics to the townspeople song. We want to hear the autistic townspeople version of the song. Drop them in the comments. <laughs> let us know. <laughs> so, so aside from learning stuff uh, about uh, a tale as old as time, what was your favorite part about being autistic this week? Okay, I had a confirmation about a decision this week. So I was super Ooh. conflicted. I was supposed to go on a trip with a group. A group usually means, let's say, 80% of the people are going to be neurotypical, sometimes <laughs> even higher, depending on the special interest of the group. And this was definitely going to be a high neurotypical group, but it is in my special interest. So I was like, I really want to go because I would like to participate with my special interest, but we're sharing a house. There's like, I think maybe 10 or 20 people and we're sharing a house for a week and I have my own room. But literally what I kept thinking is I'm going to be the drama. I know I'm going to be the drama. I'm going to get into a fight with someone. The group is going to split like because I've been the drama at so many events. You've and been I don't the villain, much like the malign Maleficent and Lestat and uh, the Beast. Yeah. And it always happens. And I always promise myself, I, I like to, I'll tell my husband before I took a class and I was like, I am not going to say a single thing for this whole class. Every week I am going to say nothing. And then I did not say nothing. How can you? I, my mouth says things and then I'm like, oh God, the answer is just say nothing. Why can't I be shy? I'm not like I failed that part. A lot of women are really good at masking in that way, but my, not me. I failed. Anyway, so I didn't go. And I didn't go because I was like, I'm going to make people mad. And then I'm going to be sad that I made people mad. And I did not go, but I ended up on the WhatsApp group. Oh, and so I just, I just have, because they're, they're posting all of the stuff about the special interest, I've been reading along, even though I didn't go. 
And so this woman in the group posted this story. And as soon as I saw it, and I'm sure you have the spidey sense too, it, it was a story about an African tribe and some magical, mystical, wonderful thing they did. And I was like, mm, just going to Google Snopes on this bullshit because this has some noble, <laughs> savage, total and utter bullshit. Yeah. I can smell it. And so I just searched Himsa tribe Snopes. Sure enough, total bullshit created by a white Jewish man named Jack Cornfield. Totally harmful. And the people of this village have begged us not to tell this story. Now, what I always do, because I think it will bring flowers <laughs> oh. to me and appreciation, <laughs> is I share the Snopes link in the group and I say, hey, everyone, alert, alert. We're harming people. You wouldn't want to harm people. I can stop us right now. And then everyone hates me and I'm surprised because what I think is going to happen is everyone's going to love me. I do this again and again, Matt. I'm 50 years old. I've been doing it since I was five. So, yeah. but I have learned, I have evolved. I'm not even there. I didn't go there. I am smarter. I am wiser. And I privately message this person, which is what all the public interventions of my entire life have said. You're supposed to say this privately. So I say it privately. And I say this with the Snopes link. Didn't want to post in the group, but thought you want to might want to know the Himba tribe story is not true and the Himba people would like you to not tell that story. And then I linked to the Snopes and I said, then I said more things I shouldn't have said, but I said... <laughs> <laughs> when you posted it and I read it, I had a feeling it was over-sentimentalized or made up by white people. So I Googled Himba Snopes and it does not appear to be accurate. And then I posted seven more messages. Of course, as is the way. And she wrote, and then I had total confirmation of my decision not to attend. First of all, all the other women in the group were saying, thank you. This is amazing. This has changed my life. I will now continue to oppress indigenous people without realizing it. But anyway, she wrote to me, white, spiritual white lady, thanks so much for sharing. I feel for me, after having visited Africa regularly, oh I've always believed this story is true and I will just keep believing it's true. There's so much magic in it. Often in life, myth and magic and truth and sacred alchemy are adapted to recreate spaces of light and expansion. Truthiness. The top-down processing. What in the actual fuck, Matt? Matt. Yeah. Yeah. I would have murdered <clears throat> this lady. I would have been in a Balinese jail. The, the I've decided that it's real because I want it to be real. And facts won't change that. What? But it's hurting people. You say you care. I said, I do encourage you to read those links. The noble savage trope does a lot of harm to indigenous people. And so maybe sharing it and saying it is a myth or a story, but not ascribing it to a sign that has uh, to a tribe that has asked it not to be ascribed to them would be something that might feel more respectful to you. Yeah. She did not reply. She did not remove it from the group. And everybody who commented and say, love it, amazing, wonderful, thank you for sharing. I will tell all my clients. Oh, God. She never said, like, 
I did not comment in the group. Matt, I'm so proud of myself. I did not comment in the group. I did not comment in the group. But I was like, what on actual earth is how, what, why, what, it, why, why? Please explain. That, that's the neurotypical top-down processing where they don't care about data, they care about the feels. Stephen Colbert uh, said the truthiness comes from your gut brain because there's more nerve endings <laughs> in the gut than in the brain. And uh, mm-hmm. of course, that's, you know, his truthiness mm-hmm. because there's mm-hmm. no way that that's possibly real. But and he says, some people might say that's wrong, but I feel that it is. And that's that's the essence of how this works. And it doesn't matter what you say, how you say it. They're going to continue to believe it. And that is that is a that's the villagers from Beauty and the Beast. And that's the reason why we live alone in our magic castles full of our stuff in our libraries, because, oh, my God, that's exhausting to deal to to fight the angry mob of villagers all the damn time because they don't like They literally would have encircled me with the torches, the tiki torches with the fire. Yeah. Because I said, don't use noble savage trope that people from this indigenous tribe had begged you for 20 years not to you. And then I would be burned. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because you go against the social order and you threaten the narrative that they present rather than presenting uh, an accurate view because, boy, they hate reality. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I didn't go. That's what I Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I was very grateful, though. I'm like, I literally that answered my question. I now have no regrets. I was like totally torn up about it. And, you know, maybe this makes part of autistic culture like a little bit isolationist. Yeah. I feel less capable of pretending I'm going to mask and I knew it would be a shit show and I would regret going and I was totally right. And I just want to stay home with my books. I I have been... uh... Uh, on separate occasions with separate people uh, called out because one brother-in-law said, you know, it's known that Native Americans smell bad. And I was like, no, I'm not, not going to stand. I'm going to argue this to the death. And then another one's, uh, yeah, I was like, uh, he was talking about Bear grills and oh, the, no. the adventure, the, yeah. the yeah, survivalist. Yeah. And I said, well, you know what's more impressive? Bear Grylls' cameraman, because Bear Grylls' cameraman yes. does everything while walking backwards. And he said, Bear Grylls doesn't have a cameraman. And I'm like, then how does the image get from Bear Grylls to our <laughs> television? He says, well, he has his own camera. Well, what happens when he's walking and you see his hands clearly? Is the camera floating? He said, well, he doesn't have a cameraman. He's out in the wild alone. I was like... I don't know why you believe that, but that is incredibly. And again, I am the asshole. You are the asshole. I am always the asshole because, again, neurotypicals love to have this uh, social compliance to keep the peace instead of saying, no, that's absolutely wrong. Here's the facts. And it's that's that's the villagers. That's the angry mob. The villagers will always come because that is. This is the biggest truism that Linda Wolverton brought to this because that's exactly how it happens. That's why I need one of our creative listeners to rewrite me those lyrics so I can sing them to soothe myself to sleep at night. For the love of God, because (laughs) the world is hostile. It's just, I can't, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't go on that trip because it sounds like hell. It would have been hell. 
At least I know it now. Took me long enough. All right, you guys, we do not want to hear about your personal hell. We want to hear about your personal heaven. What is your favorite thing about Disney or Beauty and the Beast or your library? Show us your comments. Show us your library. Put library pictures in the comments below. We love you guys. Tune in next week. We will be back for another episode of the Autistic Culture Podcast. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowerylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Thank you.